The Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its meaning, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So he's going to talk about the gospel. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So what does this gospel include? What is it about? Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We'll stop right there. So when he talks about the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus is just as much a central part of the gospel as his crucifixion was. So usually when we preach the gospel, we talk about how Jesus died for our sins, which he did, and that's vitally important. But as Paul includes here, the reality or the fact that Jesus was also buried because he was truly dead, and he rose again back to life. That's all included in the gospel. You know, since the symbol of Christianity is the cross, some Christians emphasize his death and then kind of downplay his resurrection. But as we're here on Easter Sunday morning, I'm saying to you that his resurrection is just as important a part of the gospel as his death. His death is central to the gospel. But, you know, one thing I want you to, to realize, that cross up there, it doesn't have Jesus on it. Now, I was raised in a church, the Catholic church. And whenever you see a Catholic cross, Jesus is still on it. <laughs> You know, if you see a rosary, it's got a cross at the end of it and the symbol or the image of Jesus hanging on the cross. If you go into a Catholic church and you look at the cross behind the altar, Jesus is still on it. But Christianity has the cross as a symbol without Jesus on it because it reminds us that the empty cross means that our Savior has risen from the dead. He's not on the cross anymore. He was buried, and then he rose from the dead. So we should never think of the death of Jesus without also thinking of his resurrection. And likewise, we should never think of the resurrection without also thinking of his death. The two go hand in hand. The two are just as important. So the resurrection of Jesus was vital because it was the beginning of God's new creation. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The resurrection of Jesus is vital because it is the beginning of God's new creation. We all know about his original creation. If we turn back to the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 1, it tells the story of how God brought everything into existence out of nothingness. He created the universe. He created the earth and everything on it, all the planets, all the galaxies, that was the initial creation. But now we're involved in God's new creation. See, the old creation, in a sense, kind of went bad because of us. We brought sin into the picture and everything was spoiled. Remember, uh, Adam and Eve 
were living comfortably in the Garden of Eden with God, but when they disobeyed, when they sinned, uh, they were kicked out. And all of a sudden, all the beauty that was in the Garden of Eden turned into weeds <laughs> and insects and animals now fearing man and, and being uh, uh, violent toward man and toward each other. And everything was turned upside down because of sin. So God's original creation was good. We're the ones who screwed it up. But now God is in the process of recreating a new creation, if you will. And it really began with Jesus walking out of the tomb. So Jesus' resurrection from the dead provides a pledge for us that one day God is going to make everything new. Okay, it started with Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, but it's going to affect us and it's going to affect the whole world and the whole universe. Now let's turn to 1 Peter. <clears throat> this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. We've seen that the resurrection of Jesus is just as important as his death. Let's get into it a little bit deeper now. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter also talks about the message of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection. And he says this, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what has he given us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Two things. New birth, we were born again, and also a living hope. He's given us both of these things through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's read on verse 4 and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith, talking about us, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so there's a lot there. We're going to break it down. We're going to look at the two things that we have been given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our, first of all, our new birth, or the fact that we have been born again. So this relates to our Christian experience here and now. We're living this right now, okay? We have already been born again. When we first came to believe, we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we were born again. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this was able to happen to us. In other words, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised us from being spiritually dead in our sins, and it's given us a new life. It's brought us into a new dimension of living. That happened when we first believed the word, when we first accepted Jesus as our personal Savior and became a follower of, of, of his. We're born again. That's a reality right now. Notice he says in verse 23 of the same chapter, For you have been born again. It's not something that is going to happen in the future. 
Once we became believers, it happened to us. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So we're talking about how the resurrection of Jesus affects us now. We've been born again by believing in him. And he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, that we're like newborn babies, spiritually speaking. We're born again into a new life, a spirit-led life. We're like newborn babies. We should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So ever since you first became a believer, you started a new life as far as God is concerned. You were born again into a spirit-led life and we're growing. We're all growing. And by reading God's word and hearing God's word preached, we're being fed spiritual milk. You know, we start out, we need milk. As we get a little bit older, more spiritually mature, we can use the meat of the word. You know, because we've matured and we can handle it now. So this is our state right now. We're born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we should never lose sight of that. And you know, it's a good thing that we have a church to come to because we can be reminded of this reality all the time. That we're born again Christians. That we have started a new life. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days where you don't really feel it. <laughs> You're having a bad day and the thought doesn't even cross your mind that, well, I'm born again and I'm living a new spirit-led life now because we get bogged down in the physical cares and worries. We get bogged down in the, the pain we may be feeling that day or some of the trials that we're going through. And we need to be reminded on a regular basis, wait a minute, things have changed for me. Things have changed as far as God is concerned. We should never trivialize that. And like I said, it's a good thing that we come to church regularly to be reminded of that, who we are in Jesus Christ. We're beloved sons and daughters of God through Jesus. And if we don't come to church, we tend to lose sight of that. We tend to forget about that. And it's not important to us anymore. So we need to be reminded about this all the time. Never trivialize your life as a Christian. You are different. Now, if you were to ask a non-believer, well, what is a Christian? Let's say somebody who was an atheist or somebody who was not a believer, and you just took a survey and said, what in your opinion is a Christian? They would probably say, well, there's really not much difference between a Christian and a non-Christian as far as I can see. I suppose that they have a set of beliefs and a code of rules which they might pay lip service to. They have a church where they attend from time to time, but it's all kind of surface decoration, they'll say. Scratch the surface on this person and it's the same old pagan underneath. <laughs> so people, you know, don't have a lot of respect and regard for Christians in our society today. But the Bible teaches that becoming a Christian is a radical change in a person. A radical change. It's the beginning of a new life by a new birth. That's the way God sees it, and that's the way he teaches us. That's the way we should think of it, and always be reminded of that. It's the beginning of a new life by a new birth, 
a resurrection, if you will, or a recreation. That's what God is making in us now. Ever since we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we're born again. We have been resurrected from our sinful life to a new life. And in a sense, we're part of this new recreation that God has started. It's being raised from spiritual death by the power of God, just as he raised Jesus from the dead by the power of God. It's a person becoming more aware of the reality of God, who God is, seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ, to whom we were previously blind. So we're in this process now of being recreated, if you will, born to a new life. Sometimes Christians downplay that. Certainly people who are not Christians downplay it. But we have to realize that this is what we're living right now and this is what God has called us to be. Now it doesn't mean that we're perfect as Christians in this new life because our new birth doesn't cancel out our old birth. <laughs> Christians are twice born people, if you will, who lead a double life, don't we? That's kind of called the Christian paradox. We have God's Holy Spirit. We've been born again. We're, we're living this spirit-led life, but unfortunately, the old life still wants to linger in us. The old man, as the, as the Bible says, the old sinful way of life. We're struggling with that on a regular basis, aren't we? We are both fallen and redeemed. That's what I mean by leading a double life. We're both. Because we're still struggling between the two. We're constantly aware of two influences at war within us. And the Bible talks about it as being war that we're fighting. The old man and the new man. Or the old woman and the new woman. Just when you think you're making some spiritual progress in your life, here comes some old stuff from your past. Maybe old temptations or weaknesses that we have. One influence pulls us up to God. The other influence pulls us down. As long as we're in this body and in this world, we will have trials and tribulations. We're going to battle with ourselves from within, and we're going to suffer trials from outside as well. Amen. That's the Christian paradox. We're living this new life, we're born again, we're part of God's recreation, but at least for the time being, until Jesus returns, we've got a struggle on our hands because we're still living in the world. Remember Jesus in that final prayer before he departed, before his death and resurrection and his ascension, he prayed to the Father, I don't pray that you take my followers out of the world, but be with them while they're still in the world. So we're in a struggle. Notice what Peter says here in, again, chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. He says, in this, talking about our situation now, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's all of us here, okay? Even though we're born again, we're still living in this world, this fallen world. We're still fighting our own fallen human nature that still lingers around from time to time. Verse 7, these have come, the trials and tribulations, so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we're all tempted to sin. We have to endure pain. We have to endure suffering. We deal with problems that we have and other people around us, the problems that they have, whether they're physical problems, psychological problems, emotional upsets, anxiety. It seems like everybody has anxiety in this world today over one thing or another. So let's be honest. We all still struggle with this stuff, don't we? Even though we're born again and we're now part of God's recreation. That's the paradox that we face as Christians. And you know, as Christians, we tend to hide our problems, don't we? We don't like to talk about our problems uh, because we don't want to give the wrong impression. You know, our friends who are not Christians, we don't want to talk about our personal problems because then they may judge us and say, well, I thought you were a Christian and your whole life's supposed to be wonderful. <laughs> well, it isn't all the time. Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful things about our new life, but we still have our struggles. And as the scripture just said, that's part of the way that God is helping us to build faith. And God says, even though you're still going to have troubles, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we're learning how to rely on God and trust in him. And, you know, sometimes I think we need to be a little bit more open with our problems so that people can see that as a Christian, we're not perfect. We still have our struggles, but God is going to get us through it. We're relying on God and praying to God and depending on him. And you know what? When he brings us through difficult times, then the people around us who maybe don't believe can see that, hey, you know, Christians are still regular people. They believe in God. They have a strong faith and their faith seems to get them through problems. God is there with them and bringing them through. And I think that that's going to bring more glory to God if people can see that in our lives, rather than us just trying to keep all of our problems private and to ourselves. And notice what he says here in 1 Peter uh, 1 verse 5 again. He's talking about, you know, the faith that God has given us, who through faith we are shielded by God's power. So no matter what we face in this life, whether it's our own temptations, whether it's trials and tribulations, you know, sharing in the suffering of people around us. In the midst of that, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So like I said, God never forsakes us. He never leaves us. We're kept by God's power in spite of our temptations and our trials and, yes, our sins, because we are forgiven of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of our suffering, there is glory because we know who we are. We're part of God's recreation. We're born again. We're led by the Spirit. In the midst of pain, there can be joy. In the midst of weakness, there is power, God's power, not our own. And in the midst of death, there is life. We see that in the example of Jesus Christ, and we're promised the same for ourselves. So that's the first 
thing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us about our new birth, the fact that we've been born again, and even though we still face our struggles in this life, our personal struggles, dealing with trials and tribulations, we're shielded by God in the midst of all that. And he's going to get us through it. He's promised to do that, and he does that. Now, the second thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Peter talked about is that it's also given us a living hope. So the born-again portion is what we're experiencing now. The living hope is what we're going to experience in the future. This relates to our Christian experience in the future, the hope for the inheritance God has promised us on the day Jesus returns. So let's look at that a little bit more. The new birth is a wonderful thing, but it's only the beginning of the recreation process. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, a hope for something that is not yet ours. Let's read that again in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's that hope all about? An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So that's the hope that we have, that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So beginning with the resurrection of Jesus, a process was started that will be brought to a triumphant completion. When? When Jesus returns. So the Christian life we're living now is an interim period between two supernatural events. And what are the two supernatural events? The first one was Jesus coming back to life from the dead. That's the first. The second supernatural event is Jesus' triumphant return, his second coming. So we're living in an interim period right now. We're in between the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus' return. And those two events begin and end the recreation of God. We're sustained now by the new birth we have already received and by the living hope of the glory that is to be revealed in us when Jesus Christ returns. One day, the old order of things is going to be completely redeemed. God's recreation will be perfected by the resurrection of his people. So just as Jesus came out of the tomb, we're going to come out of our graves. Amen. That's the promise of God. Let's read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 42. The Apostle Paul talks about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, or the body that is planted in the grave, is perishable. These physical bodies, you know, they get old, they get worn out, lots of pains, aches and pains, sickness, disease, it's perishable. But it's going to be raised imperishable. So at the time of our resurrection from the dead, we're going to have bodies like Jesus had at his resurrection that is now eternal, imperishable. It is sown or planted or buried in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is buried or sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. 
It is buried a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, when Jesus came out of the tomb, he was different. He was now glorified. You know, Jesus, before his death and resurrection, if he wanted to go from point A to point B, he had to walk, or he had to sail, or he had to ride on a donkey, or however. He's just like us. But when he came out of the tomb, all of a sudden, he's appearing and disappearing. The apostles are in a, in a room with a locked door, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. <laughs> he's different. He's now glorified. That's the kind of body we're going to have at the time of our resurrection. These new bodies will no longer be subject to things like pain, disease, sin, or death. That's the kind of bodies we're going to have. Why? Because we're part of the recreation of God. He's making all things new. But it doesn't end there. I mean, life is going to be so much better for us. We can't even imagine what life is going to be like with a glorified body. But that's what God has promised us. What is it going to be like? Well, look at Jesus after the, the resurrection. Look at the things he did. Look what happened to him. How he acted, how he conducted himself. That's going to be us. But it doesn't end there. I mean, that's great enough. But the recreation continues on. Jesus talked about the recreation in Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus himself talked about it. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal, that's what he called it, or the way it's translated here, it's a Greek word, palingonesia, which means rebirth or renovation of all things. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we're going to have some sort of God-given authority when it comes to judging and doing things like that. So life is going to be very interesting. It's going to be glorious. It's not like we're going to you know, hang around in heaven on clouds playing harps. That life is not going to be like that. It's going to be involved. It's going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be busy helping God in whatever he has given us to do. So it's a time of re renovation. It's a time of rebirth. It's a time of recreation of all things. And in Romans 8, verse 19, it's going to involve the whole universe. Why has God created such a big universe? All these galaxies, all these stars, all these planets. There's got to be a purpose involved in that. And it says in Romans 8, beginning in verse 19, that, well, there's one passage that I want to turn to first that I forgot. 2 Peter 3. Let's go back to 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3 and verse 10. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, talking about the return of Jesus. And eventually, after his return and the resurrection from the dead, this is how far the new creation is going to extend. 
He says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements, everything that this earth is made of and the whole universe is made of, will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So when that time comes, after Jesus' second coming and our change, our resurrection from the dead, you see, this earth has been made brilliantly by God for physical people. Everything on this earth serves a purpose for his physical creation. But when our change comes and we're no longer physical, when we're glorified like Jesus Christ is, it's going to require a new and different world. A world suitable for now glorified beings, which we will be at that time. So this physical creation is going to be burned up and it's part of the recreation. It started with Jesus coming out of the tomb. It's going to extend to us eventually coming out of our graves with new bodies, glorified bodies. And then finally, the whole rest of God's original creation is going to be changed. The old is going to be done away with, and God is going to provide us with a new earth, if you will, heavens, universe, if it's still going to exist, but it's all going to be changed in a way that is going to be suitable for glorified beings. And we don't even know what that life is like to know what the new earth is going to look like. But it's going to have everything that we need to enjoy a life everlasting with God. So notice how expansive God's recreation is going to be. Everything that he originally created is going to be changed and made new. And it's going to be suitable for a new form of life. This whole physical life expanse that we've enjoyed, the history of this planet is going to come to an end. And it's a renovation. It's a new birth. It's a recreation of everything. Now we'll go to Romans chapter 8. Our final passage here. Romans 8, beginning in verse 19. Now Paul pictures this as we're waiting for all this to happen, that there's anticipation. We have anticipation. We long for Jesus' return because we know when he returns, that's when things start happening. Our change happens. You know, our eternal life really begins for all intents and purposes. And Paul talks about how we're not only groaning in anticipation for that time to come as we struggle with our daily trials and tribulations and physical pain and sicknesses that we have to deal with, but he says the whole earth and the whole creation is groaning in anticipation. Romans 8, verse 19. The creation waits 
in eager expectation for the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, that's you and me, to be revealed. We're going to be revealed when Jesus returns, and all of a sudden, everybody's going to know who we have been. Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, born again, because our change is going to take place, and we're going to be changed from physical to glorified. And the whole creation is now waiting in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration when God originally created it, physical creation, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So God knew that this physical creation was only going to be temporary in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So notice that this new creation is going to be for the benefit of the children of God. For the new creation, these new beings, these glorified beings, that's us. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption, the change of our bodies. So I don't know about you, but you know, I've got some mornings where I wake up in pain, or I go to bed in pain, or you're just struggling with the, the trials and tribulations of the day, you know the struggles you've got to deal with, maybe the, the people or the situations you've got to deal with, and it's not going to be pleasant, and you've got these struggles going on, you've got to talk to the bank because you've overdrawn your account, or you're late on these payments or that payments, and they, they've turned your electric off, don't we just groan for the day when this is all going to be over with? And we're going to be able to enjoy then eternal life with God, with new pain-free, sin-free bodies that he has promised us. Amen. This is the hope that we have been given through the resurrection of Jesus. God has promised it. Jesus' resurrection is a pledge, if you will, on God's part, an example of what we will experience, a resurrected people in a resurrected universe. Amen. Don't lose sight of that. That is a promise, a firm promise by God. Now, the new birth which we have now, which we're enjoying now, and a living hope for the future, what the future holds in store. That's what God has given us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I said, when he walked out of that tomb, it was the beginning of the whole process of recreation. He experienced it, and he showed us an example of how we're going to experience it. Someday we're going to walk out of a tomb or a grave when Jesus Christ returns, and we will be changed just like Jesus was changed. And God doesn't stop there. He's going to create a whole new heavens and earth to accommodate this new life that we have been promised. And we know that we have not earned this new life. It's something that has been given to us as a gift through the grace of God. So that's why we come here on a regular basis and we want to praise him because of the wonderful God that he is 
and the mercy and, and the grace that he has and that we experience through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for us. It's quite a story. And like I said, we need to be reminded about this on a regular basis. If we're not, we tend to lose focus and we tend to drift. We're, we're drawn back to this world and all the problems and the depression and the discouragement of the world. But let's keep our focus on now and the future because this is a firm promise from God.